Welcome to Pensions WTAF Working Through the Actual Facts podcast, a podcast brought to you by Pengage Limited, pension communications, engagement and guidance experts. I'm Laura and I have 25 years experience working within the pension sector, helping people to prepare and plan for their retirement. And I'm Nigel Heaton. I joined um, Laura at Pengage last year. After 33 years working in the pensions industry uh, for some of the major employee benefit consultancies, I'm also a fellow of the Pensions Management Institute and on pensions, I'm really short of an opinion. So this is a podcast no one will want to listen to because it's about pensions, but you should listen to it. It's a bit fun, it's relatable, it's kind of important. This is not financial advice, but guidance to help work through some of the practical and emotive issues that causes pensions procrastination. So we basically take the complicated stuff and try and make it a bit not complicated. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. We are now on episode 10. Hello, Nigel. Hi, how are you doing? 10 times a lot, doesn't it? I never thought um, a few months ago I'd have done 10 podcasts with you. Um, we must have talked quite a lot of nonsense in the last few weeks. <laughs> it, just, it just shows how much there is probably to talk about in respect um, to pensions. Yeah, episode 10. It's been a moment, hasn't it? But we've been we've been pretty busy. Um, this, this sort of time of year from the end of September is, is quite hectic. We've had lots of pensions tax. Uh, salary sacrifice query has been an absolute favourite at the moment. Also retirements. And we've done quite a lot of work um, around the McLeod uh, judgment and ruling. Um, so what we thought we would do in today's podcast is um, dispel some of those myths and misunderstandings because we had a lot of questions about it. Yeah, I, I've had quite a few as well. And you're right, October's been really busy and I've really enjoyed it uh, explaining about um, uh Pensions tax changes to the NHS pension scheme and the McLeod ruling, but a lot of the questions that have come back have been a little bit concerning. Whilst we've been able to field and answer all of them, it's quite clear that the level of understanding is still at a relatively low level and there's a lot of work to do. But before we dive into some of those questions, Laura, it might be worth while, if you don't mind, maybe you, you just go back a little bit and remind everybody what McLeod is and why it arose in the first place. Yeah, of course. Yeah. OK, so I'll try and be as succinct as I possibly can. Um, succinct. OK. All right. <laughs> I'll try. Uh, there's quite a lot to go through, but let's so let's just um, do a quick recap. So the majority of the public sector pension schemes um, in England introduced new sections in 2015. So they're all called slightly different things, but civil service, NHS, teachers, police, fire, judicial scheme all introduced a new section. And they did that following a wider review of public sector pensions, which is something known as the Hutton Report, and that made some recommendations to um, change public sector pensions from a fairness and a longevity point of view and when we say longevity we mean um, a lot of people are living longer now so obviously the, the longer somebody lives the more expensive it is to provide pensions so it needed a, a big review okay now the way that those schemes were introduced was the same across the board and that was that um, whether somebody did or didn't move into the new section in 2015 was dependent on two factors. So one of them was were they a member of the pension scheme as at the 31st of March 2012 and if the answer to that question was yes 
it was then how close was that individual to their normal pension age so if they had less than 10 years to their normal pension age at 2012 they stayed in their original scheme so whatever scheme it was that you originally part of you would have stayed in that section if you had more than 13 and a half years to your normal pension age april 2012 you would have automatically been moved across into the new 2015 section and if you were in a middle group so you had between 10 and 13 and a half years um, then that's called a transitional protection and that means that you would have moved into the 2015 section either at the 1st of April 15 or at a later date that was based on your date of birth. And you would have been given an option at the time as to which one of those you wanted to apply. Okay. Yeah. So all the schemes introduced it in exactly the same way. So then what happened was there were two separate legal challenges that were raised, one um, from Judge McLeod, who is a member of the Judicial Pension Scheme, and one by a gentleman called Mr. Sargent, who is a member of the Firefighters Pension Scheme. Do feel a bit sorry for Mr. Sargent because he doesn't really get mentioned very much. Um, but essentially, um, they both were raising the same point, and that is that the way in which the 2015 section had been introduced was discriminatory on grounds of age so they haven't raised a challenge about how the scheme is calculated or how the benefits work it's about the way in which it was introduced and when you think about that explanation of um somebody moving based on the proximity to their retirement age you can clearly see that there's clearly an age um, section or discriminatory aspect to that yeah. does that make sense yeah, it does. I'm with you so far. And it is relatively succinct. So well done. Yeah, I'm with you. So it, the important point, and this is a point that I've had to make a few times in the webinars in October, is that the McLeod legal challenge was about the transition, the way the new schemes were introduced, not about the nature or fairness of the new schemes per se. Yes, absolutely, right, absolutely, yeah. So I'll cut a long story short because there was obviously a lot of legal wrangling and discussions that went on in between that. But essentially where we've got to is that the court uh, agree with that position in that those changes and the implementation of those changes were discriminatory through grounds of age. And um, since then, more conversations have been had. And where we are now is that that ruling applies to all of the public sex pensions because at the time it only applied to those who'd raised the challenge, which is judicial and fine. Whereas now it applies across all because all public sector schemes did the same thing. So what that means is that a remedy needs to be found to remove that age discrimination aspect across all of the schemes. And the people in charge of that remedy are Treasury, the HM Treasury. Okay. So again, there's been quite a few consultations and things that have been running, but what we know at the moment is that effectively from the 1st of April 2022, so that's the 1st of April next year, there will be new legislation that comes into play effective on that date. And some of that legislation will be looking backwards and some of that legislation will be looking forwards. So the bit that's looking backwards, retrospective if you like, will affect all of those who are scheme members at the 31st of March 2012 and subsequently moved into the 2015 section, whenever that was. So what will happen to those people is that their membership will get adjusted to actually reflect that they have continued in their original section until the 31st of March 22. So potentially yep. up to an extra seven years. Uh, and then they will join the 2015 sections on the 1st of April 22. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, and then also on the 1st of April 22, everybody will then be in the 2015 sections going forward. So previously, mm-hmm. if you've been a person that was protected, if you like, and remained in your original scheme, that doesn't apply anymore because from 1st of April 22, for all new pension benefits, you're in the 2015 sections. Okay. There is another strand to this, though, which will be what happens at retirement. So when somebody reaches retirement, whenever that is for them, they will then be presented with two fundamental options. So option A will be that the benefits are calculated on that basis that we just talked about. So that they've continued Mm -hmm. in their original section until March 22 and then have joined the 2015 section from April 22. And option B effectively will be what the benefits would look like had they moved into the 2015 section seven years earlier on the 1st of April 15. And they're giving that choice at retirement so that people can then make a direct comparison of what works for their scenario and they can then make the choice. And that is being called a deferred choice. So the important takeaway is that what's going to happen in April next year is going to impact on the majority of scheme members. And it's really important that people are aware of of what that means. Yeah, but it's important to remember there's nothing for scheme members to have to do now and there's no choice to make just yet. Is that right? Yeah, that is absolutely right. So um, we are still waiting on some details in terms of the legislation. I can talk about that in a moment from Treasury. Um, Nothing for members to do. There's no decisions to make at this stage. As we said, all the decisions are made at retirement. But just know that the changes um, from a legislative point of view, at least, will arrive in April next year. Okay, so um, (laughs) from an administrative point of view, it's quite a complex mess, isn't it? But um, in the webinars that I've been doing with scheme members, a lot of them have sat patiently through uh, the explanation that I've given, which has been similar to the one that you've just given. Maybe not as succinct, but um, very similar. But um, the, they then start to think through in their head what it means for them as individual scheme members. And there's a number of challenges or observations that come back with, with which have a common thread and I suppose the first one is that people do take a little while to, to follow it through and understand the logic and the principles of it but then of course human nature kicks in and people start to think does this mean that I could be worse off and, and those people who are most likely to be thinking that are those perhaps with most to lose and I'm thinking here perhaps of those NHS pension scheme members who are in the 1995 section where they have uh, a pension based on 80 plus additional tax-free cash of three eightieths um, and, and also the right to take those benefits from 60 but even, even within that group there's a special category who, who are allowed to take them unreduced from age 55 so those people quite often jump in at this point and say do I lose these benefits or how does it uh, affect me? Yeah, and it, there's, a, there's quite a lot in there, isn't there? I think um, the yeah the special category with the option to take retirement benefits unreduced from age 55 is unique to the NHS, and we'll come back to that in a minute. The other questions, though, about being in the previous originally original final salary scheme, so for NHS, that is the 95 section, for civil service, that is classic, um, for teachers, it's also known as the final salary and so on. So you, you should be able to work out which one of those would apply for you based on your scheme. There is that thing that the pension ages are from age 60, 
um, this is bringing these schemes are bringing a lot of changes in. I think probably what we need to do first of all is understand a little bit more about the 2015 sections in general, to then talk about how that will interact with the the previous scheme. But the principle is that your previous benefits that you've accrued up until the 31st of March 22, as it will be, um, in those original sections, remain unchanged. So the rights and options you have around taking those benefits are either 60 or 55, depending on your circumstances, how the pension is calculated, the option of the pension plus the lump sum, none of those things change. They stay as they always have been. What's happening is from 1st of April, new pension benefits only are going to be built up in the 2015 sections. So essentially, an individual will have two sets of pension benefits, one on the old basis and one on the new basis. Now, the bit on the old basis um, is also still going to keep the link to your current pay. So where your pay increases, your old pension basis will also increase as well. It keeps a complete link. But all it means is that you're going to have two sets of benefits, each with different options attaching to them. But you don't lose anything that you've already built up. Yeah, and and that's good because that, that's that's the – I think that's human nature, isn't it, is it's to think, does this mean I, I can't – I could be worse off as a result of this. But I suppose the underlying intention behind the remedy is that they are trying to level up. They are trying to make it so that people cannot be worse off as a result of these transitional arrangements having been put in place in the first place. So the remedy needs to give rise to a situation where people cannot be worse off. Now, ultimately, because of the complexity of it, there's no crystal guarantee that people couldn't be worse off. But if people make a rational choice, that is they choose the set of benefits which will give them the more favourable outcome, then in principle, almost every person will be slightly better off as a net outcome from McLeod. Is that is that fair? Uh, yeah, I think broad brush. I think what we've got to remember is that the, the, the aim of the remedy is to remove the age discrimination aspect. That's the key aim yeah. of the remedy. And that's why it has to then draw this line that says, OK, we're going to do this again. And from the 1st of April 22, this is how it's going to be for everybody, because that removes that age discrimination aspect. There was then the secondary issue, which is that um, there are some people who would have mo- who moved into the 2015 section um, in April 15, and they will have higher benefits at retirement on that basis than on um, being allowed to continue in the original scheme until March 22. And so the one size fits all rule doesn't work in that scenario. Mm. And that's why they're offering the choice to people at retirement, as you say, to try and give you that, um, okay, well, it's this or this. And presumably you choose the, the one which provides you with the better outcome for you. Now, having said that, in every single Um, situation like this there are always going to be some people who possibly are not quite as better off as they would have been under the previous arrangement Um, and what we've got to remember here is that we're possibly talking about two different things so the people who could possibly be slightly worse off are those who were the transitional protection people. So the people who moved into 2015, but at a later date, because that date doesn't apply to them anymore. They've either got April 15 or April 22. So there's a possibility that that looks quite different for them. Um, There is also the possibility that those who were protected 
Um, so they didn't move, who are now moving, could potentially be worse off. But the likelihood is actually that they will be better off, uh, which seems like a strange yeah. thing for people. And the reason for that is because all of those people now will be past their normal pension age. Because at 2012, it was, are, are you within 10 years of your normal pension age? So 2022 is 10 years later. So everybody yeah. will be at or have passed their normal pension age. Now, when you start doing a comparison of the benefits of old scheme versus new scheme, once you start passing state uh, normal pension age, the position starts to look quite different. And actually, the new scheme potentially um, will provide a higher benefit. So we also what we also need to try and do is remove the stigma that people seem to have of old scheme equals good, new scheme equals bad. Yeah. OK. And of course, most people who are now past normal pension age will actually have retired and be receiving their pension. So one of the main issues here, and we, we didn't come up against this a lot in our webinars, and that's mainly because we didn't have retired people on our webinars. But those people who've retired since 2015 effectively have to have that portion of their benefits accrued since 2015, revisited and recalculated and, and, and be presented with a choice on that period of service since then. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Now, these people are what is being uh, being categorised as, if you like, as the immediate detriment people. We like to lose lots of fancy words in pensions. Okay. But essentially, these are the people who, as soon as this legislation hits on the 1st of April, they are instantly impacted because they are already, because remember, yeah. part of that legislation is looking backwards and they've already had some benefits in payments. So they include anybody who's retired since April 15, uh, anybody who's died, uh, transfers, ill health, any of those cases have to be revisited. Um, now, this takes us then into that interesting um, concept of how this is actually going to work in practice. So, the, for the pension schemes, all of them, the absolute priority is going to be those people because they need to rectify the position for those people. So, what they will do is they will write out to them and say, hello, Bob, you retired with this option. Actually, now, because of this legislation change, you've also got this option. Here's a comparison. Which one do you want to take? If Bob stays as he is, nothing changes. If Bob says, oh, well, the new on the new basis, I would get more pension, then um, Bob can implement the new pension and it will be backdated to his retirement date and he will receive the relevant back payment, etc. Um, so, yeah, yeah the, the focus for the pension schemes is very much going to have to be that group of people before they can even move on to anything else. Yeah, and as long as Bob acts rationally and chooses the more favourable set of benefits, he, he's, he can only ever be better off, uh, notwithstanding all the inconvenience and hassle involved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. They're not going to write to him and say, we're taking pension off you, Bob. Yeah, yeah, It's, yeah, it's going to be yeah. pension stays the same, or you can have this other option, yeah. No, no, no understood. How does this impact on the dependent benefits that uh, go alongside the, the pension accrual? Because the, the more you dig into it, the, the more complex it gets. I'm, I'm glad you asked me that because this is another one that that, um, that comes out of nowhere sometimes. And I think, um, well, what what does what, where's that come from? So the some of the things that I've heard are well, when we move into the 2015 section, um, we ha we lose the dependent benefits and we only get dependent benefits based on the 2015 benefits and all this. And, it, and it's it's nonsense. Okay, so remember yeah. what we said earlier. 
the benefits that you have built up in your previous section, whether that's 1995 for NHS or classic for civil service or whichever one it is, you keep the rights and options under that section. The same thing applies to the dependent benefits. So under the older sections, 95 and classic, for example, it's typically 50% um, spouse's pension. Uh, that that remains or whatever it was in, in under whatever section you've got. So and then when you move into the 2015 section, it is a percentage of your benefits in that section as well. The same as it is for you. You will have two pensions. The dependents have two pensions. So, again, there is no loss on dependent benefits from moving into the new section. Now, the okay. following subsequent question that comes up sometimes is the percentage is different in the 2015 benefits. So, for example, as I mentioned, for the older legacy schemes, it's generally 50% of the benefits. In the 2015 sections, it varies from scheme to scheme, but it's somewhere between 33 and 37.5% is provided as a dependent pension. So it's a lower percentage. One of the things to remember is that the way that the pension builds up in the 2015 sections, it means it grows at a much quicker and higher rate than in the earlier sections. So it is a lower percentage for a dependent benefit, but it's a lower percentage of a higher amount. Okay, so that's another yeah, thing. Okay. Can't draw okay. direct comparisons. All right, thank you. Um, you've already established and clarified that the immediate priority for the schemes after April is going to be those people with immediate detriment. So that will be people who've already retired, who've died, and uh, whose dependents are in receipt of a pension and so on. Um, what about those people who are intending or considering retiring in the next two to three years? Because from what you've said, the inference then is that they're not the priority and therefore will they have the comparison they need to be able to make an informed decision about whether they should take early retirement or not. Um, okay, so yeah, this, the, these people I think are the people that potential people that fall into this category. I think potentially are going to struggle the most with this. That doesn't yeah. mean it's a huge struggle. It just means that you might struggle with it a bit more than somebody who is not imminently retiring. And the reason yeah. for that is, although the legislation is going to come into force on the first of April. So that when it, that's when it becomes law. The reality is we don't have everything we need from Treasury in order to get everything in place. So public yeah. sector pension schemes are set up and established through statute. OK, and that means that to amend the scheme, there has to be an amendment to the statute or a new statute, which is sometimes called secondary legislation in this case. Each of the pension schemes, civil service, NHS, etc., etc., will have their own. Okay, and it is that okay. statute or change document that will set out quite a lot of the detail of how this will hang together from a process point of view and include uh, intricate details such as how interest will be applied, what will happen with tax, and so on and so forth. We don't have that information yet. 
And that means the pension schemes don't have that information yet. So the pension schemes are unable to provide anybody at this stage with any indication of those benefits. One, because it doesn't actually apply yet because it's not in law until April. And two, because we don't have that detail that's missing. So what we do know is that Treasury have are building into the legislation that pension schemes have until October 23 to be able to get all of the processes in place to be able to deal with development cases. So what this means is that it's quite possible that although the legislation becomes effective in April, from a calculations, quotes, benefit statement, information point of view, members won't see anything different for a number of months, possibly 18 months. So back to your point then, the people who are retiring or planning on retiring in the next 18 to 24 months are not going to be able to access accurate quotations on the option A, option B scenario because the schemes are not physically going to be able to provide them. So that makes yeah. it quite hard for them. Um, what what may happen, and I'm speculating, I don't know, what may happen is that the changes will come in, in parts. So it may be that this, the change to enable somebody to continue in their scheme up until March 22 and then join to 2015 is stage one. And if that happens, what that means then is somebody who is imminently retiring will effectively have option A, which they can make their decisions on. And again, a bit like yeah. the immediate detriment people, option B will come later. That would make yeah. a lot of sense if that can be put in place, but it's going to be different for each of the, the different pension schemes. The, the most difficulty will come from somebody who's thinking now, I would like to retire perhaps next summer, and and the, the comparison yeah. of benefits is really difficult for them to obtain. If they ask the pension scheme, they can't provide it. Yeah, agreed, and and that's that's the cohort of people who have perhaps pushed back most when I've um, explained this. They, they've effectively thrown the challenge at me to say, so I've effectively got to make a life-changing decision this time next year, whether or not to retire, and I'm going to have incomplete information to uh, help me make that decision. And, and the answer to that is, yes, I'm afraid that that's correct. Um, but it, it, I think also most people who've asked the question have all also sort of thought it through and, and understood that it, it is what it is and, and eventually it will um, feed itself through with the solution. But it, it's frustrating in the short to medium term, like you say, up until October 2023, that those people who are going to consider retiring before then are the people perhaps in the most unfortunate position. Yeah, yeah. It, it's difficult. I mean, the, the sensible approach is make your plans based on the information that's available to you now. So, so what you know, because if there are any changes, they're not going to be significant changes to the pension amounts. And generally speaking, as we said before, we would expect if anything changes, it, it may go up. It's not to say it couldn't possibly go down, but it's unlikely. Um, so, yeah. so long as you, you when you do your retirement plans anyway, which is a different podcast, but you're building a buffer then if there is a slight adjustment, then hopefully it shouldn't impact on you too much. But it is difficult because people are pension procrastinators by nature. So at the time when they switch on to thinking about it, it's the time when they want to know everything concrete. And, and obviously, we, can, we can't do that at the moment. That, that, yeah. that won't happen, unfortunately. Yeah. OK. In, in the webinars that you've done, what kind of challenges have you had? What, what kind of questions have you had besides those that we've already been through? 
Uh, so one of the ones that has come up a few times, which which makes me start to hyperventilate slightly, is um, well, I'll give you the scenario. So the context of the scenario is. Um, I think I am going to have to take early retirement before the 31st of March 22 because I will lose my lump sum from my 1995 section, as it was because it was an HS question, um, from the 1st of April. So, so the and there's been a few like this. There's also been a few that have been around the lump sum about whether they're going to end up paying tax on it and all this. Okay, so it's just to reiterate what we said before. Please do not make any retirement decisions or decisions to leave the scheme or your employment on the basis of something you have heard from somebody else. Because it does seem that sometimes yeah. things are misinterpreted and we're making panic decisions which are inaccurate. So this person who was talking to me on a webinar was saying that they were going to early retire at 57, I think it was, because they heard they were going to lose the right to their lump sum from the 1st of April. And so, again, we've explained, as we have already on the podcast, no, you keep your entitlement to your previous benefits, they're all fine, and then you build up going forwards in the 2015 section. If when you've got that information, you still decide that you want to take some or all of your benefits at 57, of course, that is absolutely fine. But don't... Um, make a decision based on something that you've heard because that could not be true and that could have then changed the decision that you made. So it's really, really important that we understand, um, as we've already said, uh, rights and options remain as they were for part A of the pension and part B of the pension is is for new benefits going forward. So that's one that definitely comes up. Uh, another thing that comes up quite a lot is... Um, it's more of a statement, actually. I don't know if you've heard this statement. Um, well, if they're moving us to the 2015 sections, uh, it must be worse. So my pension benefits overall will be less. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. But th those are the people who have not taken much time to understand it and are just relying on what their colleagues have told them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if in fact, I must declare a family interest here. My, my wife, as you know, is a member of the 1995 section of the NHS pension scheme, and she has a special category status to allow her to retire early from age 55 without reduction. Now, some of the gossip in her place of work, and she works for Hospital Trust, has been around McLeod being a positive adjustment to everybody's benefits, and therefore everybody considering early retirement should wait till after April because McLeod will increase their benefits, which is is nice, and it may actually be founded on a little bit of fact because we did talk about this earlier, but it's also quite scary about how these rumours start and get escalated and almost go out of control because it's quite clear without sounding patronising that my wife and her colleagues don't really understand some of the detail and that's not their fault because that's not their specialism but it's worrying that rumours like this take hold and my daughter is, is now working in HR in another NHS trust and she feeds back different rumours that exist in her place of work and, and it's quite scary that it's quite localised some of these rumours just start with somebody speculating in the coffee room and it goes from there so in, in, in some respects it's terrifying it, it is it, it is absolutely um, for, for us I think because of our, our involvement in it it's absolutely alarming and you're definitely right about it being localised so again um, some civil service departments seem to be fixated on, on one thing um, and NHS, the particular NHS trust is focused on what's happening with the lump sum as 
we talked about before, obviously you've talked about other ones and, and that's really tricky, isn't it? Because the same information is publicly available to everybody. Yeah. But the the things that people are remembering is not the stuff that's on the NHS pension scheme website or the civil service pension scheme website or even written into into the draft legislation. Not that people have read that, but, you know, know, it's really, really alarming. But I think one of the things that we do need to make sure everybody understands um, is that the 2015 benefits are for all the schemes are career average benefits. And that means that the pension builds up based on your pensionable pay in that year. So we take the pay for the 1st of April to the 31st of March, and then we calculate a proportion of that. The next year we do the same thing again, and we add it on, and the next year again. So it builds year on year on year based on your pay in that year. Now, each of the schemes has a different... rate at which the pension grows um, because they're all set up slightly differently but the principle is the same is that the the way in which the pension grows year on year in the 2015 sections is higher than it is in the the older sections so for example some of the older sections we've said accrue at 180th with the um, 2015 section in nhs it's one over 54 which of course is more in the civil service it's 2.32 percent which is more so and in teachers it's one over 57 which is more so um, they're all growing at a higher rate and also they're also revaluing each year by at least inflation again some of the other schemes have an inflation plus so the year-on-year growth is a lot higher so actually you're generally will be adding more each year to your pension in the 2015 scheme on the same salary than you would do in one of the older schemes on the same salary now it is a bit more complicated than that there are other components that come into play but what we've got to remember is that general principle of it's growing quicker and that's what we've got to remember which then brings us to the other question that comes up quite a lot which is the retirement age i don't know if you get this one as well nigel yeah we get retirement age challenges because I, I suppose the crux of it is that people have have difficulty understanding if they have a portion of their benefits available to them from one normal pension age, let's say age 60, or in my wife's case, age 55, and then another portion available to them from age 67. Does that mean they can't take them together at the same time? They have to separate them? And that's that's the, the major misunderstanding I come across on normal pension ages. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. So that the normal pension age, just so that we are clear, is the age at which somebody can access their pension benefits without them being reduced for early retirement. Okay, so for the um, old schemes, it's typically 60. Some of them are 65. um, And then for the 2015 sections, it is defined as state pension age. So for most people now, it's 67. For people who are, you know, super young and trendy, such as myself, it is currently 68. So it's a movable number. It's not fixed. Okay. Um, And somebody said to me this week, um, well, I've heard I can't take any of my pension benefits until 67. So I said, who told you that? Well, that's just what I've heard. And, And so we have to explain the same thing over again to try and help people to understand this. That is the normal pension age for the 2015 section. You can access those benefits anytime from age 55. Okay. Now, if you access them before the normal pension age, they are reduced for early payment. But if you want to retire at 60 and your plan has always been to retire at 60, you can get your previous benefits from age 60 and then you can take your 2015 benefits early and they would be reduced a bit for taking it early. 
It doesn't stop the decision, your decision-making process. Now, the follow-up question, before I finish on this, which comes to that then, is, well, I don't want to take my 2015 benefits at 60 because they will be reduced and therefore I will get less. Uh, which is true, but but what are we comparing it to? So remember, of course, what we said is the 2015 benefits grow quicker each year. So then if you're then taking them early and they get reduced, you're, you're having a reduction on a higher amount, generally speaking. So the amount that you end up with may not be that dissimilar to what you would have had had you continued in the original scheme. So again, what we're doing as people, because we're very good at this as people, is yeah. we're we are letting biases that we preconceive in our head take over from the logical decision-making process from having all of that information, um, and that makes it quite hard. Yeah, if, if we could remove cognitive bias, we probably wouldn't be here, would we? But yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> it's a, pensions are very much a psychological thing, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I suppose one of my final questions to you is about it being in the news again in the last couple of weeks and one of the reasons for that is that the British British Medical Association and the Fire Brigades Union are considering a legal challenge on something called the cost control mechanism. Do you know what that is and are you able to um, explain what it is for our um, listeners? Yeah, yeah, I would say at this point, if you want to turn off at this point, that's fine. Yes, it's don't forget, right at the start, you said you said the word succinct, don't forget. I know. I was, I was thinking <laughs> So that still about counts. Yeah, I'm trying. Okay, I'm going to try. Um, try and be succinct but informative. So, yes, it, it's sometimes called the cost cap. It's sometimes what you see it referred to. And it is something that is quite high profile at the moment. So, as Nigel says, the BMA and the FBU have both raised legal positions on this, which we'll come back to in a minute. So, let's just talk about what that is. Um, there was originally a review, um, part of the wider review we mentioned earlier in 2011, where the Public Service Pensions Committee um, suggested that there should be a cost control mechanism for public sector pensions. So why that is important is because the way that public sector pensions work are on what we call effectively a pay-as-you-go system. So the contributions that are being paid now are paying out the pensions for the people who have currently retired. So it's kind of in you go and out you go. If for whatever reason there is not enough money going into the pension to meet the money that needs to go out, then the Treasury tops up that position. So people will always receive their pensions. And it's one of the great strongholds, if you want, of public sector pensions is you've got this kind of treasury top up. But of course, that comes from the public purse and the taxpayer, essentially. So what this review recommended is that there needs to be a mechanism in place that doesn't allow the cost to the employer and therefore the taxpayer to go above a certain level if the cost of benefit keeps rising. So it, it what they actually did was they introduced that mechanism at the same time as them introducing the 2015 sections. And what they broadly said, I'm going to say at this point, I'm not an actuary and I'm not a lawyer. OK, so this is my interpretation of it. But what it broadly said is that if um, the cost to provide the benefits pushes the employer contribution or the taxpayer contribution up by a percentage, it was typically 2%, it was a ceiling, then they would have to review it. And equally, there was a flaw. So if it went through a point where they were actually lower than the percentage is set by more than 2% or so, then they would review either the benefits or the contributions. 
So what that means is if the cost got too high, either the member contributions would have to go up or the benefits would be reduced. But if the costs were a lot lower than what they were anticipating, then they could either reduce the member contributions or increase the benefits, more likely the latter. But that was the position. Does that make sense so far? Yes, I'm with you, Annie. It's very succinct. Thank you. Well done. You're Keep welcome. going. Okay. So that was that was what they said. And then um, what happened then is that the pension schemes have what's called a valuation every three years. And a valuation is essentially an actuary, probably more than one, who is very, very clever, who looks at the money coming into the scheme against the money going out. So how many retirements there have been, trends with the demographics of the scheme and all of that to determine the contribution levels um, of the money going in to the money going out to determine if there needs to be any changes to do a lot of other things, but that's part of it. Now, from the 2016 valuations, um, which were kind of rounded off in 1718, the position for all of the schemes said that following the shift into the 2015 sections, the cost of providing the pension benefits was actually going down. Um, below the 2% margin. So what that meant was that the pension scheme provision was actually cheaper than originally thought. And so at this point, they thought that member benefits could therefore increase at no additional cost because it was cheaper. So cost less can give you more, that sort of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. With you so, far. Yeah. so everybody was delighted about that. However, along came McLeod. And what the McLeod ruling has done, as we now know from what we've talked about already, is that it is re-establishing the pension position up to March 22 for quite a significant number of people. And then we're transitioning across into the new section or the 2015 section from April 22. OK, there is a very significant cost attached to the remedy for the McLeod ruling. So certain numbers have been um touted around but it's it's in something like the 17 billion pounds is what they're expecting it to cost so the position now is that actually we're not going to increase the member benefits because um it, we've saved some money in terms of the cost of the pension provision we're going to use that saving to finance the mcleod remedy OK, so that's that's where we are at the moment. And that's why FBU and the BMA have raised legal challenges, because what they're saying is, hello, government, this was your error. And so members should not have to pay for that error. Instead, they should be allowed to have the benefits from that cost cap clause in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. And well done for explaining it, because it, it is quite complex but it, it's quite an interesting philosophical discussion now isn't it because i suppose it's difficult to argue with the concept that if the government has made the error the government should pay but the government is sort of you and me and the taxpayer so it, if the scheme members do not themselves fund the mcleod remedy then it fall the burden falls on the rest of the uk taxpayers most of whom yeah, so, so the difficulty that we've got is is that um, 
the, the taxpayer is, is you're right the taxpayer the government doesn't have any money does it the government uses using money through uh, claiming tax to to fund those benefits if they need to um, so you've got you've got two very distinct groups of people on on social media and in and in kind of the union space at the moment you've got the groups like the the BMA and the FPU that are saying no absolutely you messed it up government you need to pay for it and I want to be clear on this they did mess it up because the review that happened in 2012 that Hutton report very clearly said do not phase this yeah. in based on age and they did it anyway so they very clearly did mess it up right but you've got another group of people who were saying exactly that that actually well hang on a minute um that means that us as, as people who work in the private sector who have no access to public sector pensions at all or anything remotely close to that are indirectly going to end up picking up the tab for this because um it's going to effectively come from taxpayer money Okay, so you've got two definite camps. My position on this is very much in the middle. And what's going to happen now with what I say next is I'm potentially going to alienate myself from both groups. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll, yeah, and I'll explain why in a minute. The, um, the problem is, is that everybody is seeing the cost, the £17 billion or whatever it is, as a, as a one cost, as a job lot, right? But it isn't. It's split into two different sections fundamentally. The first is the cost to provide those additional pension benefits on the old scheme basis up until March 22. And the second is the actual practical costs that are incurred through the administrators, through legal, through whatever it is, to physically put those things right. So that 17 billion is not one size fits all. It's actually split into to at least yeah. two different categories, okay? So what I would say is that what the costs that are associated with changing the benefit structure to allow people to continue in the 2015 section until 22 potentially should absolutely be met by that money which has been effectively saved through the through the uh, cost cap originally. And the reason for that is because the members are directly potentially benefiting from that. They are getting seven years extra in their original scheme, which could provide them with a higher benefit. Remember, the yeah. cost cap was introduced with the introduction of the 2015 scheme. So what we're effectively doing is delaying that introduction for the, a significant proportion of the membership for seven years. So, of course, the extra cost for that benefit has to be made from met from the members because that that's what they would have had had the 2015 schemes not been introduced okay so so that's that that bit the bit however that relates to just physically putting it right so extra resources administration staff system changes legal stuff all that kind of stuff that has to be met by the government now, I know ultimately that means by the taxpayer, but if we're talking about on a yeah. fair and equitable basis, if this was something in the private sector, we would expect the employer to pick up where they've messed up. And and you therefore you have to apply it, it, it from the principles of fairness, you have to apply the same theory. So you've got the cost of the extra benefits absolutely needs to be met by the members. And you do that through the offset of the cost cap saving. But the cost itself to put the practicalities right that would be something that would have to be met from the government. Now, the reality from that, as I said before, is the government doesn't have any money, so it's going to end up coming from us as the taxpayers. But do you know what? We pay our tax to pay for our public service, and sometimes we have to pay for errors that the government make, whichever government it is, because that's part of public service, and, and that's the way we have to split that. That's what I think. I mean, obviously, other people think differently. All right. Okay. Thank you. It's 
getting quite philosophical, and I think we've probably reached the um, limit of most people's attention span by now. So I think we're getting close to drawing um, this podcast to a close. A couple of things occurred to me while we've been speaking. Um, We've had a little bit of trouble with the Wi-Fi connection. So on the day that we now know for sure that there will be no high-speed train link um, from Birmingham to Leeds, we could probably do with a high-speed Wi-Fi link between Bolton and Gateshead so that we can do these podcasts a bit more efficiently. But the other thing is, Laura, if your state pension age is 68, that does mean you're not even halfway through your working life yet. It's quite a depressing thought in a way, isn't it? Because I've been working full time since I was 17. So, yeah, for those of you who are not aware, I am almost 42. (laughs) Um, So, yes, it means that... um, I've got I've got quite a way to go. I've got to be honest, my intention is not to work until 68. I have a plan. Obviously, I have a plan. Be very hypocritical of me not to have a plan, wouldn't it? Um, and my plan is 60. But um, but yeah, it's it's quite... And for our kids, actually, Nigel, it's probably going to be about 70 if it carries on in the current trend. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not even... Yeah, it might be, but I'm not going to tell them for a while. No, no, I wouldn't yeah. even tell them about that. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. Speak no, that's fine. Thank you. I mean, as you said, I think that it's been quite long. I suspect people will have turned off halfway through the cost cap bits unless they're really interested in it. But it's just to try and put a bit of context behind some of the things that are being discussed on social media at the moment. Um, yeah. OK. OK. Fair enough. OK. Thank you. I'll see you later. Perfect. Yeah, thank you. We'll end the episode 10 here. Um, if you do have any questions on anything that we've talked about today or you want to us to discuss anything on a future podcast, then you can email us at hello at pengain.co.uk. But now we're going. Thanks, Nigel. See you soon. Bye.